Do you struggle with managing employee behavior or conduct in your salon? You might have listened to one of our past episodes where we talked about the importance of guest policies, right? Policies to have in place for your guests. But what about for your actual employees, your staff, right? It's super important that you also have in place codes of conduct or policies for staff behavior. And this is really going to help just enforce and encourage really a healthy boundary, a healthy work environment for everyone to thrive in. Very important part of building a culture. And in today's episode, we're going to delve into some great ideas for what policies you need to have in place and how to roll them out with some examples. So let's just jump right in. Welcome to the Salon Scoop, a podcast by Salon SOS. I'm your host, Scott Moon, the founder of Salon SOS, and I'm obsessed with helping salon professionals live their best life. In this show, we shop talk all things salon to bring you real life stories, debates, entertainment, and inspiration to help you find happiness and success in this beautiful industry. If you work in the salon industry in any capacity, this podcast is open to you. So set down your scissors or rinse out that toner and let's get into it. Hello, hello. We are back on the Salon Scoop podcast. And today we are going to get the scoop on salon policies for your staff. And I'm so happy uh, to have our uh, our jack of all trades, Sarah, Sarah Perrin with us today. Uh, she does everything with us. But, uh, you know, your experience as a as a service provider and salon owner for many years, you know, is uh, provide some great insights. And I'm really excited to talk to you about, um, you know, some important salon policies for employee behavior, you know, that salons need to have and getting your insights into how they actually come to life in the salon environment. Yeah, I'm super excited to talk to you about it. I think this is something that we have really put a lot of emphasis on in the last few years is just kind of salon culture and how our team, you know, interacts with one another and whatnot. So, um, yeah, it's been, you know, top of mind for us for the last couple of years. So I'm super excited to share what we've kind of found has worked and what has not. So, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we're just going to run through some, some best practices and some of the key sort of policies. I don't, personally like or love the word policy because it just it sounds so strict and regulated and I feel like you know especially you know today's generation uh you know of staff younger staff might view that just as a negative oh there's all these like policies so I think just sometimes word like code of conduct uh just in and of itself sounds a little better and it's you know it's kind of our our team you know it's our team environment that we're kind of building and establishing to make sure that, that everybody is in a great place. So let's start with a basic one, which is not just about, you know, showing up on time, but sort of how you start, you know, your shift, how you end your shift uh, within the salon environment. I think it's important, uh, not I think, I know that it's important, you know, to sort of have a very kind of clear expectations in place from when people arrive at the salon, what they're doing until the end of the shift, how they sort of, you know, maybe clean up their space. Do you want to give us some insights as to, you know, your experience with this in your salon company, Sarah? 
Yeah, so this is something that we learned uh, pretty quickly is that you definitely cannot have any gray area. You definitely got to have some of these things in black and white um, so that there is no room for interpretation. Um, because I know when my sister and I opened our first salon, um, our only policy in place was clean up after yourself and don't be an asshole. Um, and we found <laughs> that those two things were kind of hard to follow. So and I think people only followed people only followed one of those two. Yeah. And let's just say they weren't cleaning up after themselves and they also were asked, they were doing either of them. Right. So that is something that I have found, even for myself, I would like to think that I am just kind of a, you know, I'll figure it out on my own, but I'm like, humans are animals. We need structure. We need, you know, reinforcement when we're doing well and we need, you know, a pat on the nose when we're not doing well. So, um, yeah, I think it's super important to have, whether or not it be a policy necessarily, but some type of structure set in place for like, this is what is expected of you as an employee, like throughout the entire duration of your shift. Um, so for us, um, one of the biggest things was um, how to start the shift. So often what we were finding is, you know, our girls were running in two minutes before the appointment started, um, which means their station wasn't set up, their guest is probably already waiting in the waiting area, and it just kind of made for a not great start to the shift. So we decided to kind of gamify it a little bit. Um, so we actually have a late policy, so you have to be on the floor ready for your shift 10 minutes before um, and if you, if you're not, you owe 10 bucks and then that $10 goes towards, you know, somebody, you know, Starbucks run one day, or maybe it's, they get to win it at a staff meeting, whatever it might be. Um, but we found that that is just a really good way to, you know, have some time to get started for the shift, make sure that your station is all set up and everything like that. So that your guest isn't waiting on you to begin. So that's how we start every shift is again, you have to be on the floor, ready to go 10 minutes before or you're out 10 bucks. So that's how we start it. Um, and then we also have um, policies in place uh, throughout the shift too. So like during your shift, these are some of your expectations. So what we have is we just have a calendar in place you know, this person is responsible for the bathroom um, during their shift. And at the end of their shift, they're responsible for X, Y, Z. So we just have it all clear cut and concise that it's like, this is what is expected of you during your shift. And if if you do not comply to those, you will get called out the next day too. So again, we have kind of, you know, this is how you start your shift. This is what is expected of you throughout your shift. And then these are your closing duties as well. Fair enough. Yeah, I totally agree. You need, you need things in black and white. That's all, you know, that it, that it comes down to. Let's talk about a, a really contentious one sometimes in salons, which is, you know, dress code, right? Uh, some salons have them, some salons don't, uh, you know, some employees, again, get like scared off. They're like, I don't want a dress code. I want to be able to wear what I want. I think it's important that people recognize, you know, uh, you don't have to, dress code policy doesn't mean that everybody has to wear exactly this all the time. Uh, you know, you can establish, you know, dress code guidelines that people have to fit in. It's like, you know, I'm a member at a tennis club. It's not like we have to wear white, um, you know, clothes at the tennis club, but you can't show up, uh, you know, in flip-flops uh, and, uh, you know, you can't play without a shirt on. Uh, you know, there's certain expectations for how you want people to, to look. And in a salon environment, you still need to be projecting, you know, an image towards your guests. So um, what do you do for, for dress code policy? What would you recommend? 
this one has been quite the evolution because we've gone from, again, having no dress code to having a strict dress code um, to kind of landing at where we're at now. Um, so the problem is, and kind of to your point of like the tennis club, it's they don't have these rules in place so that you all look completely uniform. They have it in place so that you don't show up to play without a shirt on, right? So it's yeah. unfortunate when things are left up to, up to interpretation, you would like to think that common sense would tell people, you know, to make the right decision, but that's, we can't trust people to have common sense. So, um, so now what our dress code is, um, is what we do. And I need to give props to Celine Dupuy of revamp because this is her genius and everything like that, that we kind of took from, um, but we have a one-to-one rule. So for every one casual item you're wearing, you have to wear one more formal or more fancy kind of, um, piece of, you know, clothing or whatever. So for example, I am, I think we actually had to put the dress code in place because of me, because I kind of dress like a teenage boy. I love my band <laughs> shirts and my ripped jeans and my sneakers and stuff. So instead of me just wearing, you know, a band shirt, ripped jeans and sneakers, I also have to make sure that I've got jewelry on that day, or maybe instead of sneakers, I'll put a little booty on. Right. So it's pretty much just taking, because Something we definitely found was that um, like our guests kind of like coming and seeing the variation in um, outfits. At one point in time, we had put in place like where you could only wear black or white to the salon. And we actually had multiple guest complaints um, because they're like, I got excited to come to my appointment to see what kind of we've got a very eclectic team, right? So, um, you know, lots of kind of out there outfits and stuff like that, but we actually had complaints saying that they were bored with the black and white dress code. So I think it is important to allow, you know, some, some freedom with the outfit choices and everything like that, because we do work in such a creative industry. Um, but as to your point too, again, we do work in the beauty industry, which means that we are held to a little bit of a different standard in terms of our appearance. So nobody's going to come in for their hair appointment and trust someone who's wearing a full sweatsuit, right? So it's like, as much as we love, um, allowing the option of being creative with dress code and everything like that, there does have to be some structure to make sure that there is still some professionalism involved. So that's where we do find that one-to-one -one works really well. So again, if you're going to be kind of slobby in one way or a little bit more streetwear in one way, just dress it up with something else to kind of compensate. And obviously every, you know, salon owner is going to make the decision that feels right for them and their, and their business and, and the culture that they want. Um, you know, I would say that fashion and beauty are completely connected and I like what you said, a lot of guests, you know, they come to the salon because they are looking for, you know, expertise. They expect that the staff are beauty experts. And that doesn't just mean hair, face, makeup, you know, uh, skin. It also connects to fashion. And I think the more that the salon environment can, can sort of showcase that, the better it's actually going to be for you know, the, uh, the business. So just keep that in mind, you know, salon or salon owners out there. Um, and that's also kind of the reason why it's actually going to be beneficial for the staff, the service providers. Um, they'll be able to kind of build their business better by being a true beauty expert that incorporates, you know, being fashionable at the same time. Anyhow, let's move on. There's lots to, uh, lots to get into here. So 
Um, let's talk about attitude. You know, this is obviously something that is, you know, difficult. Everyone has different, um, you know, different natural, natural behavior characteristics um, and whatnot, and, and how you sort of act and behave emotionally when you are working and, and how that can impact the people around you. So it's, you know, important to have some sort of expectations in terms of how you, how you handle yourself uh, from an attitude standpoint. Sarah, what are your insights on this? So this is a tricky one to enforce. Um, and actually, at the end of this, we're going to kind of tie it all up with a little bow. And I'm going to give you um, some ideas on how to actually enforce some of these policies. Um, because as we've learned, again, if there isn't some type of consequence to a negative behavior, it probably is not going to be corrected. So we'll kind of dive into that more. But I will say with attitude, it is a difficult one to um, have a policy like an enforceable policy with because like you said everybody's going to show up in a different way and sometimes you know personal things do happen and it is hard to keep your attitude in check and everything like that but um something that we do in our salon is if you are having those days we have a group chat um and we encourage all of our team to go in there and just say you know what today's been a rough day if i'm not my you know super bubbly enthusiastic self this is why so almost just giving a little bit of a precursor to how they are going to be that day if they are going to be off. Um, and then we do also have um, something in place where it's kind of a be call and call like call people out and be called with grace. Um, so if you do notice somebody's attitude and it like is out of check or whatever it is, we have a little bit of a system where you can pull that person aside and just, you know, ask, is there anything I can do to help you out today? Because I've noticed you know, just got yourself or whatever. So like I say, in terms of like an actual policy, this one is tricky to enforce. It's more so good just to have something in place to set the expectation um, for what the energy should be in the salon. So essentially like leave your shit at the door. Um, and if you can't at least be able to communicate that with your team so that they're not off put by your, you know, sour, sour, attitude so <laughs> no one needs a debbie downer no exactly <laughs> wah, wah. Um, so but closely related to this is kind of conflict you know that occurs often it's you know maybe because of someone's attitude or whatnot and uh you know it could cause conflict between employees so there's it's great for the salon to be thinking about this and just have a conflict resolution policy in place um you know, just very important to sort of maintain a healthy communication between the team. What do you recommend um, doing here to help people deal with conflict, Sarah? Okay, so I've got to shout out um, Susan Scott of, um, she's an author and she wrote the book Fierce Conversations. I give people this tip like on a weekly basis, I would say. I think it is absolutely genius for conflict resolution and it is something that we have put in place with our team as well. Um, because often what we found was happening, and I know, especially in a salon setting, it can be difficult to sit down and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with your, you know, coworkers or perhaps the salon owner. Um, so then, and what ends up happening is there's a lot of, you know, shit talking and stuff like that, or complaining behind the back bar or whatever it might be. So what we've done is, um, first off for conflict we have our salon coordinator that is at the front all the time. So she's usually like the first point of contact if there is an issue. And if she finds that somebody is complaining to her about something, she says, is this just something that you want to complain about? Like, do you just need a minute to vent? Or is this something that you would like to be fixed? 
if they just need a minute to vent, then she can take them into, you know, the back room and they can bitch about it and get it out and everything like that. But if it's actually something they want fixed, then she has this conflict resolution form that she then fills out and then gives to my sister and I as the owners so that we can, you know, come up with a plan of action. So I'm just going to quickly run through this because like I say, it's genius. And I feel like everybody should have this. I've used it in my personal relationships. I've used it in professional relationships. Um, so pretty much what this conflict resolution form is, is you start off with, and this is in Fierce Conversations, by the way, I cannot take any credit for this. This is Susan Scott genius. Um, but so you start off by answering the question, the issue is. So I'm going to use the example of, because um, this was a specific issue that we had in the salon, um, our water heater wasn't turning up on like um, in a timely manner. So when the girls would be washing hair, um, it would take quite a while for the water heater to actually kick up, right? So we had one girl that had a major issue with this. So when I ran through this with her, I said, the issue is, and she said, the issue is the water heater. Something's up with it. It's not working properly. Second question, it is significant because so I asked her, why is this significant? Well, it's significant because when I'm trying to rinse a client, it's taking me an extra three minutes to have to let the water, you know, heat up before I can even rinse the hair. Okay, cool. My ideal outcome is, it's the third question. She said, my ideal outcome is that the water heater gets fixed and that the water turns up to a proper temperature in a reasonable amount of time. Great. Yeah. Relevant background information. So, you know, she kind of said, oh, this has been an issue for X amount of time. I've done this and this and this, nothing has helped. What I've done up to this point. So then I asked her, what have you done about this up until this point? Well, all she's done is complain. She hasn't brought it to me. She hasn't brought it to, you know, this long coordinator or anything like that. So she hasn't really done anything for complain up until this point, which then also makes her realize, oh, okay. Yeah. Like maybe I should do something about this. The next question is options I'm considering. So she, the options I'm considering is having a full-blown mental breakdown if this water doesn't, whatever. So anyways, like all these things. And she says, and then what I need help with. So all she needed to do was come to us with this filled out thing. And we would have had a resolution within 30 seconds, right? But instead of that, all she did was she let it fester and bother her for about a month before we even realized that there was an issue. So this is why I find this conflict resolution form is so, so, so beneficial because it takes these takes these like huge issues that you think are unsolvable and breaks it down so that when you approach somebody with your issue, not only have you clearly listed out why it is a problem, but you've also come up with a solution or you've come up with what you need as, you know, support to create the solution. So anyways, I'm obviously very passionate about conflict resolution. So <laughs> this is one that is huge in our salon. Yeah, it's fantastic. And, you know, having that sort of, you know, form in place probably really helps to take a lot of the emotion out of the conversation, which is really important if you actually want to be able to come to a resolution, right? So uh, I 1, think that's, uh, that's really brilliant. Okay, let's look at, you know, a, a more basic one in salons, which is just around performance, right? We've been talking about things like attitude and dress code and uh, shifts, but what about actual performance? Like people have an, uh, expectations around, you know, a, a job to do and, uh, you know, growing and, you know, sort of achieving certain numbers, obviously, you know, KPIs, key performance indicators. How, how do you recommend uh, having an actual sort of performance policy uh, in place? 
Well, first off, I think that more importantly than even having something to enforce policies, you need to get really clear with what your actual goals and um, what the standard is. So for us in the salon, um, we work under the Summit Business, um, so we do um, like a leveling system. So it's really nice in that sense that every level has a set um, has set goals and set expectations, um, and then also timeframes that you are to hit those goals and those expectations. So let's say, for example, one of our stylists is a level three stylist, and she's not performing to level three expectations. Let's say if this goes on for six months or something like that, then there has to be a consequence in place because they are not performing at the level that they are supposed to be. So again, more than anything, I think like you can't just be like, you're not performing well, right? And then they're like, well, what am I supposed to be doing? I have no, you know, indicators that I'm supposed to be trying to hit or anything like that. So more than anything, it's important to have, you know, what the actual expectations are in place um, and in ways that are measurable so that you can sit down and actually compare it and stuff like that to make sure that they are on track. So Again, with the policy and everything like that, I don't know if policy is the best word for it or if it is more so accountability. Um, I just think it's important to have some level of accountability for your stylists um, to ensure that they are growing and that they are moving forward. And if for some reason they are not hitting those targets and those goals, um, not necessarily as a consequence, but there's there has to be some type of accountability action um, so that they change those patterns and that they change those behaviors in order to continue on their growth path. Yeah, so let's let's finish with that because I mean sometimes that's the most difficult part for a salon owner. It's one thing to sort of put these policies in place and you know sort of write them down, but then it's really difficult to have these conversations with people about it. And you're like, you don't want to, you know, uh, create, you know, you don't want to create conflict by you know by calling somebody out. What we do know is, and there's, you know, a very uh, clear-cut line that's been said. It says, you know, what you permit, you promote. So as soon as you let something happen one time and you allow it, then you're actually saying that that behavior is okay. And other people are going to see that that behavior is okay because it was not dealt with it, right? It was kind of let go if somebody broke broke the rules. So how do you suggest, you know, as a salon owner, being able to implement and actually hold people sort of accountable or sort of enforce these? Um, yeah, I think that's the, the key question. And this is tricky. And obviously, it's going to be different for every salon based on the types of personalities that you have in your salon. Um, we have a very clear cut system for everything. And there is still stuff that does not you know, work out. So I'm not going to say that having these types of systems and these policies in place are, is going to make sure that everything runs according to plan. However, it does at least give you um, something to refer to and something to kind of look back on and be able to bring to them and say, you know, you've broken this policy, whatever it might be. Um, so what we did as a salon is we actually sat down and this was just at one of our team meetings, but we sat down with our entire team um, because we wanted to be them or we wanted them to be the ones that created these policies. Um, as much as it's important for my sister and I as the owners to have certain boundaries and policies in place, it ultimately is their work environment that they are working in on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so it has to be you know, a culture and an environment and policies in place to protect them as well. So 
what we did was we kind of sat down with them and we asked them what are issues that they have found in other working environments and what would their ideal work environment be. So obviously that's a bit of a brainstorm session, but once you do that, it kind of almost points out the policies just in that, right? So a lot of, a lot of the girls would say, you know, I really didn't like um, at my last salon how, you know, if somebody was in a bad mood or something like that, and they would take it out on me and affect my entire day and yada, 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 like it was just a negative work environment. So then, you know, as a response to that, we say, well, what could we have in place to ensure that that's not the work environment here, right? So, and so on and so forth. So that is kind of how we established our core group of policies is they were all things that our team wanted and needed from their work environment. And then how can we put something in place to ensure that that happens? Um, so once we had that, and we kind of had all of the policies in place, we then made accountability actions for each of the policies. That's why when I was kind of explaining them or whatever, it's tricky because, again, to have a policy in place, there has to be some type of consequence. Otherwise, the behavior isn't going to change. It's the same way that we have a cancellation fee if somebody doesn't cancel with proper notice, right? You have to have some type of pain point that will prevent you from doing this in the future. So again, I feel like for every salon company, this is going to be totally different. Like our girls are motivated a lot by um, monetary things, right? So in order for them to say that they for sure were not going to be late for their shift, they had to have $10 on the line. That might be different for somewhere else, right? So, and dress code, what are consequences for dress code is if you get called out on not being in dress code three days in a row, you have to come pretty much in formal wear for an entire week. So we almost have like a funny, you know, a funny consequence of it or whatever. So yeah. uh, again, I feel like every salon is going to do it differently, but I feel like it's important to, again, sit down with your team and um, include them in the policy creation so that they're more likely to follow them. And again, they have a little bit more skin in the game too. So, but the biggest thing that I can say is once you've enforced those policies, there has to be an accountability action. There has to be some type of consequence. So whether you figure out what that is, or again, you work with your team, figure out like, what is actually going to prevent you from doing this? Um, there just has to be some type of pain point in order to prevent these actions in the future. For sure. Awesome. Okay, last uh, last quick question uh, here to close up is, where do these policies actually live? Like, are they written down on paper uh, or something? Are they in a book, a manual? And then how are they communicated you know, to the existing staff and maybe like new staff members that join you? So for us, we actually have all of our policies wrote, written on like a code of conduct um, that is hanging on a big poster in the back. They pretty much, they have to sign off on it. It says, I promise to be blah, 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 blah kind of thing or whatever. So we have this code of conduct um, that we have in our employee handbook. So when anybody first starts, that's actually what we show them um, at their first interview is this, you know are these policies that you would be able to follow in order to you know, create a good work environment. Um, so, and it gets brought up very regularly, uh, but like I say, I think that the biggest thing is you need to have it in writing and on paper. These can't just be, you know, random things that you've said once in passing and then you expect people to follow. Um, it's good to have an actual, like whether it be a poster, whether it be, 
a page in your employee handbook, whatever it might be, it's important to have something to be able to reference and go back to and be like, look, you signed that you were going to be in dress code in the one-to-one and look, here you are today in a full sweatsuit. So you promised that you weren't going to do this and now you have. So what's the consequence? So it's good just to have, again, something to refer back to and stuff like that. So employee handbook, have it posted everywhere, have an individual copy at each station, do what you got to do, but make sure that they know exactly what those policies are. Of that and have them sign, you know, sign something that they've kind of, you know, made a commitment. Uh, and again, I like how you've sort of positioned it. This is not like uh, you're signing a contract and if you break one of these things, you're going to get fired. And, uh, you yeah. know, it's it's like almost like a collaborative um, experience that everybody wants to have a healthy, you know, happy culture and environment. So this is just sort of, you know, putting in place what those guidelines look like so that it's a better place for everyone to work. Amazing. Sarah, thanks so much for, for sharing all these uh, all these amazing insights. I think this has been a really great uh, episode, really good examples. As a listener, we hope you've taken some inspiration and ideas you know, from this about policies or codes that you can and probably should bring into your own salon. Um, you know, it's really there. They're really there just to sort of protect your time, your business, and your peace of mind, right? And your team, when you incorporate them into it, will certainly appreciate the boundaries, boundaries, I guess, and structure in place that's going to ensure that they have a healthy and happy work environment to, to feel good about coming to every single day. So it really should be set up as a win-win environment for everybody. If you found this information useful, we'd highly encourage you to share it with another salon professional that can benefit from this, you know, any new salon owners that are, you know, looking to get things established, or maybe a salon that's been running a little bit chaotic without, um, you know, sort of codes in place, this could be really helpful. And if you have any, you know, policies, team policies in place within your salon company that you find help keep things on track that we didn't talk about, we'd love to hear about it. Please send us either in the comments, shoot us a message on our socials uh, at salon.s.o.s. And we, until then, we'll catch you on our next episode. Thanks again, Sarah. Thank you, Scott. Thank you so much for listening to the Salon Scoop podcast. This show is produced by Salon SOS, a digital marketing agency by industry professionals for industry professionals. If you want simple and affordable solutions for any of your salon marketing needs, such as websites, client loyalty, Google search rankings, social media, or more, come visit us at salonsos.ca or on Instagram at salon.s.o.s. If you want to hear more great episodes like this and help us continue to bring the industry content, it would mean so much to us if you would support us in one of the following ways. Share this episode with just one other industry professional and either rate our show on Spotify or write us a quick review on Apple Music. We want to hear your feedback. If you have follow-up questions or ideas for future episodes, please reach out. DM us on Instagram at that salon.s.o.s or hit us up on our website at salonsos.ca. Again, thanks so much for listening. Now go get your hustle on, keep smiling, and we'll catch you on our next episode.